Man, my brothers and sisters, so um, we, we're done with the Beatitudes. We went through that. Um, well, not this week, but uh, the next time you hear me speak, we're just going to continue down. We're going to do the whole Sermon on the Mount. So that's what I'll just be going through. Um, Pastor Brian, I think he's going to be finishing up Jesus and Exodus. I'm oh, not Exodus. Um, yeah, Jesus and Exodus. Yeah, he's going to be finishing that up probably in the next week or two. And then he's going to do a new series as well. So um, today is just going to be a, a topical sermon on eternal life, right? Eternal life. Um, and the question is, are you living the life? So if you want to title this, I would title it eternal life. Now we'll put a colon there and then ask the question, are you living the life? Eternal life. Are you living the life? And before we dig into this, uh, I want to say that today my task is impossible. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about eternal life. And the Bible says in John 17, three, that eternal life is knowing God. But guess what? There are really no words to, to describe what knowing God is. God is so big and so vast. So whatever attempt that I'm going to do, um, it's not going to scratch the surface. My goal is to hopefully uh, cause a spark that the Holy Spirit uses to bring you to revelations of this great privilege that you have in knowing God, which is eternal life. So that's my task is to bring you to an understanding of what eternal life is, because there's a lot of misconceptions. But again, God is so vast words there. I don't think there are words in the English dictionary, no dictionary that can properly describe what it means, what it is, what it feels to to know God, which is real life, which is true life. And so that's what we're going to want to dig into. So my question is, as I said again in the beginning, are you living the life? Are you living the life? When we use that term in society, we're, we're often we're thinking about a person who is living an awesome life, right? We're saying, oh, that person is living a life, right? That's what we say. Well, we often are talking about that star, that, that celebrity, that athlete, um, that actor with all the riches and fame that we see on TV and we see them. We say, oh, they're living what? The life. We say they're living the life. If some of you remember, um, a few years ago, MTV had this show. I know not all of you may have watched MTV, <laughs> but in my generation, we watched MTV back in the days. I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. MTV, they had this show called MTV Cribs. Remember that show? MTV Cribs. And, and what they would do is they would go into these multi-million dollar homes of famous athletes and celebrities and, and, and actresses and actors. And you would go into their house and you would see their, their huge mansion and you would see their expensive cars and you would see all of these different things. And, and as a kid, we would see this, you know, we're in high school, junior high, we're watching this and we're like, man, they're living the life. That's the life right there. You're just amazed because of of all this luxurious lifestyle that they're having. So we would say that they are living the life, right? Because of all of this wealth, all of this fame they had. Or a few years ago, matter of fact, there was, there was, a, there was a big fight a few years ago. There was a big fight. It was a fight between uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Some of you boxing fans know about this. It was only like a few years ago. It was the, they call it the fight of the century. They said it was bigger than Muhammad Ali and Frazier and all these different things. They're saying this was the biggest fight of the past hundred years. It was Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. This was the big fight. But also on that same day, you had the Kentucky Derby which is also the big Super Bowl event for horse racing, right? At the Kentucky, at the Kentucky Derby, you have all the celebrities there. They have on their fine attire. They have, they have on their hats. They're all there um, betting, you know, millions of dollars on these horses. The race only lasts a few seconds, but you have all these celebrities. So I'm watching a Kentucky Derby and the broadcaster they have, they start showing you all the different celebrities. They show you Shaquille Neal. They show you all these different people. And then they show you Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, football people know who he is. He's arguably the greatest quarterback that ever lived, right? He's the quarterback of the New England Patriots. So they show Tom Brady. And they also show his wife. He's married to a supermodel. He's, he's married to the world's, uh, the, what do you say? The most, 
not richest. How do I put it? The highest paid supermodel. That's what she is. Gis- Giselle Bunchen or something like that is her name. So he's this superstar quarterback. He, he's he's married to the supermodel, the highest paid supermodel. He's at the Kentucky Derby and they showing him, right? They're showing Tom Brady. But later that night, the fight. Later that night it was a fight, which just wasn't was uh was in Las Vegas. The Pacquiao Mayweather fight. And so at this fight, it's showing all of the celebrities again, it's showing everybody is there, everybody you can name is at this fight. Every celebrity and all the celebrities have this secret interest into the, the, the stadium where the fight is. And so they have the cameras and they're showing, Oh, here comes this celebrity. Oh, look, here comes that celebrity. And they're all walking down this secret entrance. And then they show this other celebrity. Guess who it is? It's Tom Brady, the guy who they just showed who was at in Kentucky at the Kentucky Derby with his supermodel wife. Tom Brady had flown his private jet. After betting millions or whatever they bet, I don't know if it's millions, he had flown his private jet from Kentucky to Las Vegas to get ringside seats for the fight of the century. And when they showed Tom Brady, all the headlines were like, Tom Brady is living the life. He was at Kentucky Derby and now he's at this fight. He has his supermodel wife. He just signed a $60 million football extension. And I went to a, a fight and everybody's like, Tom Brady is living the life. But here's the thing. A few years before this, Tom Brady gave an interview. And in this interview, they're saying, Tom Brady, you just won your third Super Bowl. You just signed a $60 million extension. You are dating. He was dating at the time. You are dating the world's top supermodel. How does it feel to be you? How does it feel to be your life? And Tom Brady said, this can't be it. And the guy was like, huh? Wait, but you're Tom Brady. He's like, there has to be more than this. This is Tom Brady, the multi-million dollar guy with everything that all the guys want to be, the, the supermodel wife, millions of dollars. And he's saying, there has to be more than this. The world is saying, Tom Brady, you're living the life. You have what we want. But Tom Brady in it, he said, it doesn't make me sleep any better. <laughs> like, but you're the world's most eligible bachelor. It doesn't really do anything. See, he has what the world says is the life, but he's saying it's really not the life. And Tom Brady is right. The richest of fame, it is not the life. The life can't be bought. The life can't be earned. It can only be received by faith in a person, Jesus the Christ, and he gives the life. See, outside of that, there is no life. That's why Jesus says this in John 14, 6. If you want to go to a scripture with me, go here. John 14, 6, our first scripture. Look what Jesus says here. Many of you know it by heart. Let's see what the giver of the life says here. He says here in John 14, 6, Thomas asks Jesus, because Jesus tell him I'm leaving. So Thomas is like, Lord, where are you going? So Thomas said to him, Lord, this is verse five. We do not know where you are going. As a matter of fact, let me stop here. I forgot. I wanted to say this point. Um, I'm preaching out of the NASB. Um, Pastor Brian, I think, uses this version, and uh, he may use the English Standard Version. And if you have a different version, your text may read different. And so what I would encourage you to do, when you, at least when you come here, um, to, to bring a different version. And if you don't, we have one. We can work on getting you one. But if you have like an NIV, it's going to read a little bit different. And we can talk about different Bible translations. Uh, uh, English Standard Version, I would say, or uh, NASB, New American Standard Bible. Because other versions, they, they actually paraphrase the scripture. So they're already doing the thinking for you, so to speak. And it kind of throws it off. And so I just wanted to bring that out here. Because if I'm reading from here and you read it from a different version, you, you're gonna, it's going to read different. And we may not be on the same page. So just want to say that. All right. So in John 14, uh, 5, uh, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. He says, how do we know the way? Look what Jesus says in 6. He says to him, I am the way. Not a way, the way. 
the truth. Here's the last part I want you to focus on. He says what? And the life. He says that I am the life. I'm not a life. I'm not another option to having life. I am the life. Life singular. He says, it's me. So Jesus is saying, in me is life. Outside of me, there is no life. In me flows life. Outside of that, I, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what riches. I don't care how much fame. I don't care about your power, your success. There is no life there. There's no life in none of those things. Money does not give life. Fame does not give life. Success does not give life. They give the illusion that you are living. But in reality, you are just breathing to death. Do you see that? There is no life outside of Jesus. He's saying that I am the life singular. Anything outside of me is not living. It is not life at all. I am the source. You can't buy this. It is through me, singular. I am the life. Some of you will say, but how can Jesus say such a thing? How can he say that I, me, I am the life? Meaning that outside of me, there is no real life. How can Jesus say such a thing? Well, Jesus can say such a thing because of verses like John 1.1. John 1.1 reads this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And it says, he was in the beginning with God and all things came through, came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse four, he says, in him, in the word who was with God and who is God was life and the life was the light of man. And look what it says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Nobody else fit this description perfectly but Jesus. Jesus is the one who was with God and who is God. So that is why he can say, outside of me, there is no life. Outside of God, there is no life. I'm God, so in me is life. That's, that's the point that he's making here. Since I am God, since I came in human form in life, I can say that outside of me, there is no life because I am God and life comes from me. I lead to life. I am life. See, that is the life that Jesus is saying that he is. He is life. And this life that Jesus says that he is in the Bible also goes by another term. That term is eternal life. Or if you ever read the scripture and it says everlasting life, they're talking about the same thing. For example, John 3.16. We all know this, right? This is a, a verse that we can quote. We, we've heard it all over the place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have what? eternal life. See, it's that same word again, eternal life. He's saying, I am that source. So now he's using an adjective before life to describe the type of life it is. It is an eternal life. Now, when people hear eternal life, we often think time, right? When you hear the word, I give eternal life, at least that's what I thought for like the first, I'm going to say the first Seven years of my Christian walk. I didn't know that eternal life was something different. I thought eternal life just meant you just you get to live forever. He says, I give eternal life. And that's how most people take it. When they say, okay, Jesus is going to give me eternal life. That means that I am going to live forever. There's never going to be a time when I'm not living. But eternal life is actually deeper than that. It's deeper than just unending time or a timeless life. It goes much deeper than that. And here are the, the basic steps to, I would say, to understanding eternal life. Eternal life is with God. Because God is eternal, right? Is God eternal? God is eternal, meaning he is always existing. There's never been a time that he hasn't existed. So God, in the basic sense, has eternal life, right? He's always existed, always will exist it. So God, in a basic sense, has, he is eternal life in the most basic sense. 
Since God, and when I say God, I'm referring to the first, second person, first, second, and third person of the Trinity. So when I'm saying God in this sense, I'm talking about the triune God, first, second person of the Trinity. So if God is eternal, he's the only one eternal, he's the only one capable of giving eternal life. Do you follow me on this premise? God is eternal. He's always existed. He has eternal life. Because he is the only one that is eternal, he is the only one capable of giving eternal life. And if God's life is eternal, never ending, never beginning, do you think that that life was a happy life or a good life? You think that this life is a bad life? What what do you think God's life is? God's life would be the best life, right? God has eternal life. And that life in quality would be the best type of life. So eternal life is not just duration and length of time, but eternal life in the scripture is also quality of life. It's describing the type of life. And since it's God's life that we're describing, which is eternal, it has to be by definition, because it is God, the best life possible, the best in quality. So that is eternal life. So when I said, do you think God's life was good or bad in eternity's past, if you will? I want to show you how Jesus answered how that life looked. Go to John 17, 5. I want you to keep that premise in your mind. God is eternal. One, he has eternal life because he's eternal. The only one eternal. He's the only one that can give eternal life. Point two. Point three, that eternal life would be the best life because it's God's life. So it would be the best in quality Thus, we have eternal life, time, and quality. But look how Jesus describes this eternal life. When I ask the question, do you think God's life is happy or sad or bad? Look how Jesus describes that life. John 17, 5. The Lord says this. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. So look what he prays to the Lord. He says, now, Father, glorify me together With yourself, look, with the glory which I had with you before the world, what, was. So how does Jesus describe in that life? He's saying it it is a glorious life. Before there ever was a moon, before there ever was an earth, before there ever was a universe, it was me, you, Father, it was Holy Spirit, and that life was a glorious life. And he said, Father, I want to go back to that place where I'm back in the glory and the fellowship of you. So we see that the eternal life that God has from beginning to end is a glorious, it is the best life. It is eternal life. That's what that means. So he's showing us here that before anything began, when it was just first, second person of the Trinity, that life was glorious. And here's the beauty. God is now inviting us to the party because he is now allowing us to know him, to see that glory and be a part of that glory. Do you see what eternal life is doing? Before there was ever a world, it's just God. First, second person, first, second, and third person of the Trinity, the glory in a glorious state, unending, never ending in this glorious state. But he decides in his own majesty to invite us to the dance. He decides to invite a a group of people that he creates to know him and to see his glory. When it was just him, now he invites us to the dance. So eternal life is not just unending life, but it is the quality of life. It is the life of God. See, it's saying eternal life. Give me a second. Saying eternal life, when you see it in a scripture, it's like saying the golden era. You know, we use that term in our society. We say the golden era. For example, some people will say the 90s to the early 2000s. They'll say that was the golden era of rap. Right. They'll say the 90s, Tupac and Biggie and all of them. I hear a conversation. They say that was the golden era of rap. Are you here? Some people say. The, the late 60s to the early 70s, that was the golden era of rock and roll. Or right now they say that we're living in the golden age of television, commentators say. 
When they say golden age, they're not saying that everybody was walking around in gold, right? They're not saying that the whole, all the rappers just had gold on. They're describing a quality. They're describing a value. They're describing a greatness. So it is when Jesus says eternal life. When he says life, he's describing not just a duration, but he's describing a greatness of the life. So when we look in John 14, 6, when Jesus says that I am the life or, or John three sixteen that says when you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. He's not just talking about time. He's talking about quality of life and being a part of the life of God. That's eternal life. And eternal life is not just this future reality that we encounter when we die. Eternal life is also not something that happens just when Jesus returns. It's not like, okay, we're not living now, but when Jesus returns, then we're going to be living. No, eternal life is a present reality. It is something that is presently attainable as we encounter Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through faith. You encounter eternal life right now. Why do I say that? Because Jesus Christ speaks of eternal life as a present reality. When John 3, 16, he says, "Who he who believes in the Son, what? Has eternal life. Or you can go to John 5.24. Go there with me. John 5.24. John 5.24. Let's see if this is present or is this future. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has present reality, eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has present reality, pass out of death into life. That's a present reality. He's not saying it's not a future thing. Yes, there's a future um, eternal life, or there's a future life that is coming when Christ returns, but there's a present eternal life, a living right now that is presently attainable, Jesus is saying. John six forty six. Or 47. Look what he says here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, not future. It is a present reality. It's a present thing. He has right now eternal life. So the, the person that believes in Jesus, who he is, son of God, the Messiah, who has sent him, God the Father, and for what purpose? To save from sin, to reconcile and bring us to God, to the ways of God. That person enters into the life of God, and God's life is unending and best in quality, thus eternal life. That is how a person enters into this life presently right now. It's not just a future thing, my brothers and sisters. It is a, a right now reality. So the question that some of you might be asking, if you thought about it, is why could I not enter into this life before? Why does it take Jesus for me to enter into this present life that he says that is presently attainable to me? Why is that? See, the reason that you and I could not enter into this life before is because there was this giant wall between you and God. There's this giant wall between God and myself, and this wall was called sin. It, that was this giant wall that was blocking me and God. It was blocking you and God. And it's because of our sin, we were, we were unclean. And so we were not fit and able to go on this other side of the wall where God is. And because God, by definition, we have demonstrated is life. Having no God means you have no life. Since we were on this side of the wall because of our sin, we didn't have any life at all. See, there was a wall blocking us from entering into this new life, this eternal life. That wall was sin. But Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ died for sins once, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So Jesus' death for our sin tears down that wall so that we can now get to God who is life unending. 
That is why we need Christ. That is why we can only approach God through Christ. He is the Savior. He tear down the wall. We were too dirty, too unclean to actually go on the other side of the wall. Christ tears down that wall when he goes to the cross for our sins. He tears down the wall so that we now can have access to God. So that we can now have access to life. So that we can now come alive because outside of God, we were just walking in death. We were just walking in the, our, our passions of our flesh. But now, because of Christ tearing down this wall, we can have life. So as I follow Jesus as a disciple, I'm walking in the ways of life. I'm walking in the ways of unending life. See, God himself is not just life, but the ways as pronounced by Christ Jesus, they lead to more and more life. Hope you just caught what I said. I said the ways of God as pronounced by Christ Jesus leads to more and more life. Someone say, how can you increase in life? Well, Jesus said this in John 10, 10. I want you to see this. Go to John 10, 10. In John 10, 10, look what the Lord says. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly to overflow. Jesus said, I came so that they, the people, the sheep of God, may have life and that they Flow overflow with it in abundance. See, abundance means overflowing, just constantly going. It's kind of like this. Imagine if I had a, a glass, an empty glass, and I poured some beautiful sparkling water or kombucha in it. And I begin to pour that, that water or that kombucha in the glass. And then that, that beautiful kombucha and water begin to overflow from my cup. And it began to just spill out and go all over the counter. My counter is now overflowing with sparkling water or kombucha, right? Jesus is saying, that is what I do with life. When you encounter me, I overflow. You increase in life. You, you, you begin to increase. As you, as you follow me, you, you begin to increase in life. As you follow my commandments and begin to know me more deeply, more life begins to flow inside of you and out of you. See, as you follow me because I am the life, there's nothing going to happen to you but more life. You're going to come more alive. See, he says, I overflow. I overpour the abundance. It's the overflow. And how does this overflow take place? Go with me to John 17, 3. I'm going to show you the beginning of the overflow. It's following him, but what is the object in following him? What does following him do for us? What does that mean? John 17, 3. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start in, uh, I'm going to just read in one and go down to three. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh and to all whom you have given him. He may give eternal life. Look at three. Look what he's, he's going to define for us what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, this is life. This is eternal life. So this now tells us that when Jesus says that I come to give life and life in abundance, he's not talking about material wealth. He's not talking about prosperity. He's not talking about good health. When he's talking about I come to give you life, I come to bring you to God. He's the source. I come to bring you to a relationship with him. Knowing him is eternal life. 
It, it is not those other things. It's having this deep relationship with the creator of the universe, just knowing him because in him is life. You encounter eternal life. It's, it's knowing him. That's what he comes to bring. That's why he's tearing down that wall. That's why he's going to the cross to bring you to God. God is the gospel. He's the objective of the gospel to bring you to know him, to know God deeply. That's eternal life. That's the best life. It's knowing God deeply in a deep relationship. That's life. That's living. And I hear some people, as I say this, just, I'm not saying you, but I just, I think about people when I'm preaching and saying, but I know God and I don't feel alive like all you're saying. What do you mean? I know God. I want to give you this example. I heard a pastor say, uh, matter of fact, it was Tim Keller. He was talking about how he was counseling a young lady, a teenager in high school or something like that. And she's like sad, depression, wanting to give up on life. And the young lady said this in her sadness and depression. Yes, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Yes, I know I'm forgiven. Yes, I know I'm a child of God. But nobody's asking me to the prom. Do you get what happens here? This girl, she knew intellectual facts about God. She, she knew those things, but she didn't know God. She, 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 she didn't know God. There's a lot of people like that. They, they know the intellectual facts about the cross. They know the intellectual facts about God, but they don't know God. They don't have a deep relationship with God because their, their life would show it. They would be alive. See, we say that we have a relationship with God, but do we just know intellectual facts about God? See, in our society today, and this is not original. I heard someone say this, but it's a great point. He talks about how we, we know like there's actors, right? We, with our favorite actor, we know what their favorite Starbucks drink is. With some of our favorite athletes, we know where they were born. We, we, we know what high school they went to. We know what college they went to. We know how many kids they have. We know everything about these athletes, about these celebrities, about these stars. But guess what? If you walked up to this star, it was like, hey, Michael Jordan. Hey, LeBron James. He'll look at you like, you don't know me. I don't know you, but, but, but Michael Jordan, I know you went to North Carolina. I know you played for the Bulls. I, I know you did baseball. I, I do. I, I don't know you. No, but, but, but Michael Jordan, I know your favorite number is 23. I know your shoes, but I don't know you. You don't know me. They just know intellectual facts about God. They just know some stuff they heard going to church. But they've never encountered God because encountering God makes you alive. Jesus says God is life and in him. There is no death. So when we encounter God, we become alive. See, that's what Jesus comes to bring us to. He comes to bring us to God because we were dead before. And now he's bringing us to the father. He's bringing us to himself, to the Holy Spirit. And as you follow Jesus, his ways and commandments, guess what? You begin to know God deeply. You begin to know him more. You begin to have an intimate relationship with him as you follow him. See, I, I look at my own life. My relationship with God is deeper now than when I first started. It's better. Why? Because I've been following Jesus. I've been walking with him. And as you walk with him, you begin to know more about him. And as you know more about him, that relationship gets deeper. And then you overflow with more and more life. That is why the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, his prayer to the church, to the Ephesians, is not that they will grow in prosperity and all those different things. But he says this. He says, I pray that you increase in the wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, of God. That is his prayer. Because as you increase in your knowledge, I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge, but I'm talking about that personal knowledge of that personal relationship with God. As you increase in that, life overflows. You become more alive. That abundant life happens. But outside of that, you may just have some intellectual facts that you know. So with this understanding of eternal life now, we can look at verses 
like the rich young ruler with a little bit more clarity. Remember the rich young ruler in Luke where Jesus encounters that rich young ruler and a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I want eternal life. How can I get eternal life? Jesus ultimately ends up telling them, you need to sell all your stuff. And he says, come and follow me. You want eternal life? Come and follow me. You'll get it. If eternal life is what you're looking for, I'm it. So come and follow me. You see what he's doing? He's calling him to be his disciple. You want eternal life? That is what you really want, rich young ruler? Then sell everything and come and find, follow me and you will get what you want. Because as you follow me, you will enter into life. You will enter into that eternal life, the best life, the, the not just best with material stuff, but best in intimate relationship in knowing God. I am the source of life. You want it, rich young ruler? Then come be my disciple. Come be my Talmud. Remember, that's what it means in Hebrew. What they would call a, a rabbi would call his disciple. It was his Talmud. He's saying, come and be my Talmud. You want eternal life? Come and follow me. See, one of the things about a Talmud, a disciple, that's what that means, in the first century, when somebody was going to follow the rabbi, they would leave everything behind. They would leave their family, they would leave their house, they would leave their job, they would leave everything behind, and they would follow behind this rabbi with the intent of being exactly like the rabbi. So Jesus is saying the same thing, forget everything, sell everything, and just come and follow me. But the rich young ruler didn't really want life. He wanted something else. But you look at people like the Apostle Paul, they sold all. They gave away all. Anything that was going to hold them back from Christ, they let it go because Paul wanted God. He wanted eternal life. He wanted the life. I think about the apostle in Philippians 3, matter of fact, where he says this. Go to Philippians 3. I want to show you how bad Paul wanted life. We're actually going to hit on the topic of race. This applies to today, matter of fact. This is how bad Paul wanted Jesus, the source of life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. We're going to look at that. Look what the apostle says here. 3 to 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There goes that knowing again. Remember, the Bible says in John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God, is knowing Jesus. So Paul is saying, I count all things lost for the sake, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look what he says, for whom? I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. In your King James Version, that will say, but count them but dung, meaning he counts them poop. He said, it's poop. It's the equivalent of animal excrement. That's what that is. All of my things, and compared to, to knowing Christ, that's what they are. They're, they're rubbish. They're dung. He said, that's what I count them so that I may gain Christ, that I may have Jesus. That is what he's saying. That is how bad he wants him. All things he counts as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus, because Jesus is life. If you have, if you lose everything and you have Jesus, you have all. That's a gain, the Bible calls it. That's, that's the Bible's math. The Bible's math is lose everything, get Christ, gain. That's not how this works in the world, right? You lose everything, you're just a loser. But in the Bible, you lose everything, you get Christ equals gain. And so that's what the apostle says, that I have lost all things. I give up all things for the sake of knowing Jesus. Now, here's the part I want to show you that I've never seen this before, and I've read this so many times. Look at one of the things that he counts as dung that he gives up for the sake of knowing Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. And some of you will see where I'm going when you see that verse. Because in these verses, he's listing all the things that he's given up. And look what he says here in verse 5. He says, circumcise the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What did he just list there? Paul just listed his race and his ethnicity. Paul says, I count them rubbish and dung. My race and ethnicity mean nothing to me. Why? Because they don't gain me anything with God. Only Christ gains me acceptance with God. My race means nothing. So why should I have confidence in my race? Yes, your, your blue eyes and blonde hair is beautiful. Yes, your dark skin is beautiful. Yes, your curly hair is beautiful. But they gain you nothing with God. So why would I put my confidence there, Paul is saying? See, the world right now with Charlottesville, they're putting their confidence in race and ethnicity as if it's going to do something for them. But Paul says, I count it as loss. It's nothing because it gains me nothing with God. So why would I make such a big deal about it? He says, it's law. It's a loss to me. Christ is all. He is my identity. I find my ethnicity, my race in Christ. I am Christian. That is who I am. All of that other stuff, it does no benefit to me. It does not make God love me anymore. It is Jesus why God loves me. It is his cross why I'm loved. It is not my ethnicity. It's not. Paul says, it's a loss to me. I don't want that. That's not going to gain me anything with God. He says, I'm a loser because actually it's going to take away from that. I'm going to put my righteousness there as opposed to putting my righteousness in Jesus. So my ethnicity and my race doesn't do anything for me. So why would I boast in that? Why would I boast in that? I'm going to boast in the cross, Paul would say. I'm going to boast in Jesus. See, before I am black, I'm a Christian. My identity is found in Christ. He defines who I am. He defines who you are. You know what, what Christ defined you as in the Sermon on the Mount? He says that you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. You're salt. As you follow him, as you follow Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Meaning that you preserve, you bring flavor, you fertilize and bring about growth. That's what it means to be salt. That's who you are. That's your identity. Jesus says in that same sermon that you are the light of the world as you follow him. That's your identity. You are supposed to shine forth righteousness. That's who you are. That's where your identity is found. You are salt and light in this broken world. We don't boast in those other things. We don't get caught up in what's going on in the news headlines. That doesn't benefit us with God. We show righteousness we, we love unconditionally. That's what we do as Christians. This eternal life, this life is in God. That's the life that we show. This eternal life is available right now, and it's in the life to come. But even as we consider the things I just said, we live in this fallen world. And so you say, yes, I know I can know Jesus in this present reality. I know I can know him right now, but even though I know him right now, why do I still struggle so much with sadness and discontentment and satisfaction? Uh, he's life, yes, but still I struggle so much with those other things. Well, we, we must first see that the scripture says we see God through a glass darkly. If you ever held up a glass, right? When you dim the lights and you look through it, you can see the image, yes, but it's not exactly clear. See, we don't see God as clear as we will see when Christ returns. But even though we don't see him as clear as we like, the image that we see because God is so glorious is still enough to give us life. But it's not the full picture. So yes, there's much more life to come. But it's not the full picture. Now, there's, there's so much more to come. The other point is that we have, how I like to call, a Dora the Explorer, human nature that is not satisfied with holiness or the things of God. Matter of fact, God is not even on its menu or appetite, but it loves to lust after the next thing. That is why we always, we always think, oh, if I just get this next car, this next job, this next person, that is part of our, this human nature that is not satisfied with God, but just wants the things of the world. And we have to fight against that. You see it with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. 
God would go and bring them out. He would do miraculous things. He would, he would part the Red Sea. He would bring them water from rocks. He would give them manna. He'd quail. He would do all of those things. But what happens? They would still go off and serve other gods. They still weren't finding their satisfaction in God. You can even look at the Galatians. Matter of fact, I want to show you what the Galatians look at. Go to Galatians with me. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4, 8 and 9. Chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Look what he said. Look how they got caught up in the same thing. Knowing Christ, but look what happens here. Paul is writing to the Galatians. He says, however, this is uh, verse 8. He says, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were separated. You were sinners. You were, that wall was still standing. You did not know God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no God. So before we knew Christ, we were slaves to other things. We were slaves to our lust. We were slaves to our flesh. We were slaves to money. We were slaves to work. Whatever it said, do, we did. So Paul is saying, Galatians, they were pagans. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't grow up in a Christian household. They grew up worshiping multiple gods and other things. So Paul is saying before that, you were slaves by nature. I mean, by nature of those that are not gods. Look what happened in nine. But now you have come to know God. Remember, God is life. God is eternal life. So you have come to know God who is life. Or rather, God is uh, rather um, to be known by God. Then he says, I love this. He said, how is it that you have turned back again to the weak and worthless elemental things in which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You see what Paul is saying here? You were dead. You met God through Christ, came alive. Now, how is it that you're going back to those old ways? See, they, they, they had the same problem that we have. We encounter Christ, but there's, with this flesh, there's always this temptation to go and do other things. And so Paul is saying, hold on, you have encountered life. How are you now going back to doing those old ways, those old things? You, you have just encountered the bread of life, the, the fountain of living water, and now you're going backwards? How are you doing those things? Why are you going backwards? And he gives us the reason why they're in this struggle. Look at Galatians 5, the next chapter. He tells us why this is happening. Look at verse 16 through 18. He's going to show us why they have in this conflict or why this is happening. He says, but I say, verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So Paul is describing this is why you're in this conflict, because you have this fleshly nature that is at battle with the spirit of God that is working inside of you. That is that is why you're having this dissatisfaction. You have this flesh that just wants these other things. And then you have this spirit that is fighting against. And guess what? The one that you build up most, that is the one that's going to win. So if you build up the spiritual person, the life of God, that person is going to overcome the flesh and find more satisfaction in God and find more satisfaction in the ways of God. But if you don't build up the spiritual person that flesh is going to get bigger and bigger and it's going to overcome you and take you back to those old ways and that was what was happening to these Galatians they were getting taken back by their flesh to those old ways and that's why their discontentment and satisfaction was happening while they thought they needed something else you have to build a spiritual person up in you you have to follow jesus remember he gives us the ways of life if we follow him we build up spiritually and we find our satisfaction there but if we're not building up spiritually then that flesh will overtake us see we have to kill that flesh as paul says in romans 8 13 by the spirit you kill that flesh no flesh. That stuff does not satisfy me. It is God that brings me my happiness. It is God. It's that intimacy with him. That is how I'm alive. It is not those other things that you're telling me that I need. It is not that. No, it is God. 
He makes us alive. So I ask you again, are you living the life? The life as a disciple of Jesus, following in the path of life, following Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he lived the life. The reformers of the past, they lived the life. The great heroes of the faith, they lived the life. That poor person in a third world country who is full of the joy of the Lord is living the life. The life of God, which is knowing God intimately, deeply. That is eternal life. That's presently attainable. And it's a life to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Savior, God, thank you for revealing your truth. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. Thank you for tearing down that wall and opening the eyes of our heart to see you, to know you deeply and intimately. God, you are life. Your ways are life, knowing you is life, hearing your voice in prayer is life, seeing your glory in all creation is life, seeing your glory in my kids is life, seeing your glory in my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, that's life. That's living. That's all you. You are it. God, outside of you, there is no life. So God, I pray that my prayer, God, is that you bring this revelation truth, Lord, to my brothers and sisters, God. I know these words that I'm saying can't properly describe you, knowing you truly. But God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you go to my sisters and my brother's heart and make it real, make it true. God, that deep relationship with you, Lord God, I pray that they enter into and know. God, I, I pray that they overflow in abundance of life as they come to know you and follow you in your ways. God, help them to know the life. Help us to know the life of just knowing you. May we boast only in knowing you, that we understand you and know you. That is what we boast in. Hallelujah. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.